Hello, this is Joe Bacos with this week's edition of the Taurus Report. Welcome. This week I would like to look at uh, the large-scale structure in the universe and uh, actually a, a little segment on the fine structure that uh, the Webb telescope is showing exists uh, in the structure of galaxies, like a close-up look at a galaxy. So I'll look at uh, those two things today. And I am also going to be presenting some of the information that is discussed by a friend of mine, uh, Lee Greer. And he has a website that is the uh, enlightenmentlegacy.net. And I will be sharing that with you. Uh, he has done some uh, excellent work. He is an amateur astronomer like myself, uh, not by profession, but uh, just by a very active interest. So we will be taking a look at all of these things today. First, I would like to take a look at a galaxy that the Webb Telescope has just seen. And you can... <coughs> Excuse me. You can find this article if you look at the new general catalog. If we just go into Google and do uh, NGC 7496, that's the name of the galaxy that they were just looking at, and JWST. And if we do a search, and uh, let's see, let's click in the news, right? And you take a look at uh, this galaxy, and uh, I will put the link in the... Uh, comments section of the video. So we see these kinds of uh, very intricate structures within a galaxy that previously when looking at uh, distant galaxies, uh, telescopes were not able to resolve. And you can see it all looks sort of uh, like foamy. Now this is all rotating. Uh, and we have all this intricate foamy structure. And the thing about this to me is that uh, with standard uh, gravity, which is unidirectional, unidirectional, like there's only attraction. And there isn't a variation in the form of the law with distance. The form of the law stays the same with distance. And so to me, it's difficult to see how you can get such a structure that is billions of years old and having this intricate, foamy, rotating structure to it. But this is something that is very prevalent and obvious in cyclic gravity and cosmology, CGC. Um, I have shown this video before, but I would like to... Uh, show it to you again and this is the video that I did a few years ago that is a simulation of the formation of a solar system to kind of show what I mean uh, if we take a look at this simulation and if you run the simulation and again I'll put this link in the comments if you run this simulation you end up seeing that even with something as simple, a relatively simple compared to a galaxy, I mean, uh, even as something as simple as a solar system, you get all of these very complex paths 
that over time, when uh, the, the structure is in uh, gravitational influence over a, a great deal of time, then eventually it settles out into circular orbits. That's why I say in a uh, solar system, there's a strong uh, pressure towards circular orbits over time. And I believe the same thing for galaxies, but for galaxies, the, the time scale is much, much larger. Uh, and we see it ultimately in structures like uh, Hoag's object, which I've shown you before. Hoag's object here. And this is on the scale of a galaxy. So... I am assuming that over a great deal of time, a uh, much larger time scale than on a solar system, you also are going to have this emphasis on circular structure. And as I've shared in a private, uh, not a private, in a prior video, I have shared uh, that we see these sort of uh, shells, even in elliptical galaxies, that are of a more haphazard shape than um, uh, disk galaxies, we still see this tendency towards circularization. But uh, germane to the point I'm trying to make right now is that in the earlier stages of a galaxy, we're going to see lots of very complex movements and very complex foamy structure under CGC, whereas all of this kind of structure is very difficult to explain uh, with standard cosmology. Now, transitioning to structure on a much larger scale, on the scale of the universe, and what it means for various cosmological models, I would like to share some of the things that uh, my friend Lee Greer points out at his website. So I want to remind you how to get to my website. If you type in Taurus Report, all one word, dot com, and put that in a Google search, then uh, my website will come up. And I've added a page that takes you to uh, Lee's website, where he presents standard cosmology as sort of like a new Ptolemaic system. And what he means by that is that the Ptolemaic system, if we go to his site, uh, used a lot of free parameters in these epicycles in order to explain planetary motion. And he does a uh, very ingenious demonstration here that if you have enough free parameters, then you can make any shape you want. And so your cosmology is pretty liberated if, if you have all these different free parameters that you can play around with, uh, then you're able to explain a lot of things. Now, of course, we'd like to get to a more elegant uh, uh, cosmology that doesn't take advantage of all these free parameters. And so Lee presents uh, standard cosmology as sort of uh, uh, like the new Ptolemaic system, wherein uh, uh, what we have is the hot uh, Big Bang theory, uh, 
the way that it became ascendant is taking advantage of these free parameters. Well, what do I mean by that exactly when I say uh, free parameters? And I've discussed this in prior episodes, but let me just run through a bunch of them. Okay, so in standard cosmology, first of all, coming up with the idea of universal expansion that Einstein uh, inserted into general relativity with a constant. He posited that the universe is steadily expanding without explaining any kind of physical mechanism or cause for that. And he posited that so that he could explain why the universe under general relativity didn't just simply all collapse in on itself. So we need this, in general relativity, this is needed, this idea of a constant expansion. Well, when we looked out into the universe uh, in the time of Hubble, we saw that uh, all distance galaxies, or most of them, are redshifted, suggesting that they're accelerating away from us. And this seemed to fit the bill exactly. Uh, but I call it still a free parameter in this sense, is that there is, in my opinion, no good explanation of this. I mean, you can say it's uh, negative vacuum pressure. You can say it's a form of dark energy causing it. All of that is just simply saying that we need some explanation that the simple, well, not simple, but the physics that we see in particle accelerators, uh, physics limited to what we can observe in experiments, cannot explain this. Right, So we just call it dark energy because we can't explain it. We're not detecting any kind of uh, energy. And so in, in that sense, to me, it is a quote-unquote free parameter, Okay, where you're just saying, okay, these things just do this, and we come up with a parameter that, to say that it does it without really explaining why uh, in any way. Now, another free parameter in this sense is inflation. Because all inflation means is that in the very early universe, we need a different expansion rate, a rate that is many orders of magnitude larger than the Hubble expansion rate. We just need a totally different expansion rate to explain how uh, matter throughout the universe is distributed in the fine way that it is. So once again, some process is introduced that is a description, inflation is a description of the expansion of space, but there's no explanation of why or how. It's just saying, okay, for our model to work at this very early stage of the universe, we need that it must have expanded like this. And there's no link whatsoever to any known form of physics that we see in particle accelerators. Uh, it's just declared we need it to keep our theory uh, consistent. So. We're just going to declare that it happened. Uh, so that's another example of a free parameter. Um, another example uh, of a free parameter is the introduction of dark matter. Uh, dark matter is introduced because otherwise the uh, fine structure uh, shown by the power spectrum of the CMB uh, cannot really be explained. And also dark matter is introduced uh, to explain galactic rotation rates. And once again, uh, to me, you're just saying, if you use dark matter, you're just saying, at this place, I need an attraction that physics that we see in particle accelerators, uh, physics that we can experiment on, 
cannot explain this ext uh, this attraction. So I am going to declare that there's some mass there that I cannot detect. And I'm going to put the mass in the shape and in the densities and concentrations and locations that I need to explain attractions where otherwise my theory would break down and, and I could not explain it. So all of these things are what I'm calling free parameters. And to me, they are like the epicycles in the old uh, Ptolemaic system where whenever motions could not be explained, these back and forth motions that we observe that planets do, you know, over uh, years and months in the night sky, we see them move back and forth in contrast to the way stars always move in a uniform way and in the same direction. The planets, if you focus on them, they sometimes have like retrograde motion. And so epicycles were introduced in the Ptolemaic system to explain that. So I think there are a lot of parallels to standard GRLCDM theory, where all of these free parameters that they're introducing, to me, are just like the epicycles. They're just when you see motions that you cannot explain with uh, known physics, then you start making up various, uh, uh, to me, imaginary energies, imaginary masses, imaginary processes like inflation, and just insert those at will within your theory in order to explain observations. And uh, honestly, to me, that is not scientific. Uh, if you're positing imaginary things to explain your observations, that's sort of like giving up on trying to find out what's really going on, right? Because uh, uh, you can put all kinds of, if expansion and inflation provide pushes, and dark matter provides pulls, well, all of physics is about pushes and pulls. And so if you can introduce unexplained pushes and pulls wherever you want in physics, well, then you can explain everything that way. Uh, and uh, conveniently, there's no way to test these things because they just declare, oh, well, we can't detect them. And it's like, okay, then, then is that really a scientific theory? Anyways, uh, to continue now, I'd like to look at some of the large-scale structure um, conundrums or mysteries or challenges, whatever you'd like to call them, uh, various large-scale structures that we see in the universe that really challenge uh, GRLCDM and the, and the Big Bang cosmology. So again, uh, from the Taurus report, if you click on this link up here, uh, New Ptolemaic System, it brings you to a page where you can get to Lee's uh, site. And I find this uh, first initial picture here is fascinating to me just because it's kind of interesting because this schematic is sort of what I am saying is reality in CGC. So this sort of reddish sphere at the outer edge of the universe. In CGC, this outer edge of the universe is actually uh, gas of exactly what type, I'm uh, not sure. I mean, 
I call it a type of intergalactic medium, but I have to be careful because out at the outer end, edge of the universe, when I say intergalactic medium, I'm not talking about the medium like in between galaxies, like closer into us in the universe. I am claiming that at the outer edge of the universe, there is a gigantic expanse of gas and dust, and I'm assuming uh, ionized hydrogen, um, whatever it is, what I am claiming is that the CMB is light that travels from within the universe out to this sort of segment of the intergalactic medium, where light travels through such a huge expanse of this intergalactic medium that eventually it's going to be absorbed and re-emitted. So Compton scattering or reverse Compton scattering. And because this is so thick, uh, I don't know how many megaparsecs uh, 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 thick, no light would ever escape the universe in that if you could be outside the universe, it would be dark because no light would escape it because this intergalactic medium is so thick that all light is absorbed and re-emitted and none of it ever escapes to the outside. So with that in CGC, this sort of schematic that appears at new uh, enlightenmentlegacy.net is really neat to me. I like it. So it portrays this red glow here as the CMB, which in standard cosmology is depicted as the afterglow of the Big Bang. And so in standard cosmology, this is a little different in that this outer edge is really, we're seeing the Big Bang. Well, how can that be? Because in standard cosmology, space itself is expanding, and it's expanding at an accelerating rate, meaning the things furthest from us are expanding at an even greater rate. The space is expanding, I mean. And so this means when we look back in any direction, we're also looking back in time. Um, and so it is possible to look in any direction and see the Big Bang because every point in space was at the Big Bang. And so since you have this constant, like first inflation and then expansion, uh, every point in space was at the Big Bang. And so the universe, in a sense, doesn't really have a center because every point was the center. Uh, and so it's just constantly expanding. So under standard cosmology, this red afterglow is... Uh, a relic or a remnant or, or we're seeing the afterglow of the Big Bang. Well, in CGC or in static cosmologies, uh, this is very different. Okay, In a static cosmology, light goes to the outer edge of the universe and uh, through Compton and reverse Compton scattering, it makes its way back to us. And so we see this glow in every direction, no matter which direction we look. But what it represents is something very different than in standard cosmology. And so here I want to say something about uh, static versus uh, non-static cosmology. So standard cosmology, GRLCDM, 
is not a static cosmology because the universe has a beginning and it's going to be expanding forever. Um, and so it is not the same throughout time. Now, a static cosmology holds that the universe's basic shape and structure and form has been constant and not changing uh, over time in a directional way, uh, like where there's some set beginning and then you have this constant change. Now, in CGC, because depending on the distances that galaxies and galaxy clusters are away from each other, if they are at close distances, uh, they may feel an attraction. Like, let's say, between us and Andromeda, uh, there's an attraction. That's the nearest galaxy to the Milky Way. There would be an attraction. Most galaxies are uh, uh, within a galaxy cluster wherein they can feel attractions to, to other galaxies. Now, if you get beyond that uh, scale... Under CGC, there would be expansion, but not in the sense of stretching or deformation of space. In CGC, there is actually a push because at those scales, galaxies become repulsive. And so galaxy clusters may be pushing away from each other. And the reason why standard cosmologists are sort of tricked into thinking that space itself is expanding is that these distant galaxies are, in fact, accelerating away from us. And so that is being interpreted as the expansion of space, whereas under CGC, that is not expansion or deformation of space. It just means that there is actual uh, acceleration away from us because of repulsive gravity. Now, under CGC, these galaxies and clusters will get to a distance when it's large enough gravity will turn attractive again because gravity is like a waveform. It varies as a waveform. So the absolute value of the force, uh, you know, without a directional component, uh, it is decreasing with distance, but you do have these uh, little waves. And so in certain scales, it can increase for a, certain, for a short time, okay? But anyways, to make a long story short, the galaxies would be entering an era of attraction where they would slow down and then start moving towards each other again. It would be an era of contraction, okay? And then when they hit a certain distance, then they'd feel repulsion again, and then they would start force being forced away again. And so under CGC... Uh, static might be a little bit of a deceptive way of saying it. I mean, uh, it is true that under CGC, it's like overall static. But in CGC, you have these eras of gentle expansion and gentle contraction. Okay, depending on the distances that galaxies are away from each other. Now, if that is the case, why is everything distant uh, redshifted under CGC once again, and I spoke about this in a prior episode uh, as well. Uh, under CGC, uh, tired light, uh, I believe it has been disproven that all of the redshift uh, 
uh, being uh, the cause uh, uh, caused by tired light. In other words, tired light cannot be an explanation for all of the redshift. I do believe that tired light does explain part of the redshift. And this explains why there's an overall tendency to see everything redshifted, no matter where we look. But I think that close analysis of this uh, will show that there is variation in the redshift, and it is not constant everywhere as depicted uh, in standard cosmology with the Hubble constant. With all of that said, let us continue exploring large-scale structure and its meaning. So, overall picture of the universe under CGC is sort of like this. If you interpret these outer regions as a very, very long expanse of uh, ionized gas. Now, getting back to uh, the Taurus Report site. So that is the general uh, web page, enlightenmentlegacy.net. Uh, also there is this page that concentrates specifically on large-scale structures and what this means for cosmology. And so if we click on that link, it brings us to a little bit uh, different page that concentrates on large-scale structures and what does it mean. And this is the basic idea here. If one is going to posit that the universe is 13.8 billion years uh, rather than being an eternal universe, if one posits that, then it would mean that on a certain scale, structures that are large enough, if you see some structure that is huge, that takes a long time to form, then it would challenge the idea of the hot Big Bang. It, uh, it would challenge it because a structure that large would not have time to form. And some of these structures, uh, when we look at them, from what we know of the way physics operates, a structure that large to form would take uh, maybe 100 billion years to form. So let's take a look at some of these structures that astronomers see. So scrolling down on this page here, uh, one of them that uh, I would take a look at is uh, this discovery here, where uh, uh, this paper uh, written by Hunt and uh, Sarkar, uh, let me get to that paper real quick. So, and again, I will put all these links uh, in the comments. So if we go to that paper, in uh, this paper is uh, coming from 2009, Hunt and Sarkar, they, uh, f they did a study trying to figure out uh, how big of a structure can uh, standard cosmology allow? And so 
we can see that they found an upper limit of between uh, 250 and 300 megaparsecs as the largest possible structure size that you can have uh, under standard cosmology. Anything that has a structure larger than that, then it simply would not have time to form. So what are some of these large structures that cannot possibly have formed in time to validate uh, standard cosmology? Let's take a look at some. The large quasar groups, let us take a look at that. So uh, here is a paper that uh, from 2012. And uh, again, I'll put the uh, links in the comments uh, to these papers. So it's a uh, particularly large quasar group uh, that has been uh, identified. And this, uh, the size of this thing is on the order of uh, 1,240 megaparsecs. Now, notice uh, we just said that anything above 300 megaparsecs simply has not had time to form. And so uh, this is an example uh, of something that is just, uh, uh, it is not consistent with Big Bear, uh, not Big Bear, <laughs> excuse me. It's not consistent with Big Bang cosmology. A little uh, Freudian slip there. I live in Big Bear Lake, uh, California. So I meant uh, Big Bang cosmology, not Big Bear cosmology. So what is another example, uh, another structure that we could take a look at? The Sloan Great Wall. That is another structure that is simply too large. And so here we can see... Uh, Various, and there's links to various looks at, uh, it's not just the Sloan Great Wall, there's the uh, Southern Wall. There's several of these walls, and what these walls are uh, is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, in space, we have these uh, giant walls of galaxy clusters, and they are simply gigantic structures. And so given the proper motions of the galaxies forming them, uh, there just simply has not been time in standard cosmology for such large structures to have formed. The last item I'd like to take a look at as far as large-scale uh, large structure in the universe just is a violation of homogeneity. And what I mean by that is under standard cosmology, there's this assumption that the universe in whatever direction you look at is roughly speaking, not exactly, but, but roughly speaking, uh, homogeneous in whatever direction you look. Now, this paper that I'd like to look at next, let's take a look at this one. And this was published in a Russian journal. And so what they did with this is they took a bunch of different surveys, and I'm not going to name all the surveys. Again, I'll include the link in the comments, and you can take a look at the paper 
yourself. Is it just looking out into the universe in uh, two different giant uh, surveys? One is like an angular section of the universe here. And each dot in this diagram here, each dot represents a galaxy. And you can see that there's obviously structure to this. In other words, it's not just random. If you look out into, a, into the universe, you see different clumps, uh, filaments, and so forth. Kind of a foamy structure, as I described earlier, when you do a close-up just of a galaxy. Well, uh, the universe overall has kind of a foamy structure, uh, too. And uh, this is a kind of an angular look of a section of the sky. Then there's another look, which is this dark line, uh, which is called the, uh, the, uh, uh, the pencil strip, I think they call it. It's like a pencil beam. They call it that just because it's, it's a narrow look at a very uh, specific segment of the sky. And then they uh, analyze this mathematically in this sense. Uh, what they were trying to look at was this. If you look at any di specific direction in the sky, and then you consider along your line of sight, along the line of sight are galaxies roughly evenly distributed. Or is there some structure to that? In other words, are galaxies clumped like uh, closer together sometimes and then do you run into spots where it's empty of galaxies and so this itself is a, a variegated uh, structure that the universe has and this is even larger than uh, any of the other structures we talked about because it covers the whole universe essentially and what they find found was and, and this sort of uh, um right skewed bell curve here would be if it was homogeneous would be along this line here and the gray areas shows where there are either overcounts or undercounts of galaxies in other words there's a violation here of normalcy and we see it interestingly enough it's sort of a wave-like form if we scroll there's down there's another way of kind of uh depicting this and uh, there's several diagrams depending on what direction you look and once again uh, in this diagram here um, uh, the stuff above zero means there's more galaxies than expected and stuff below zero means that there's fewer galaxies than expected and notice that this isn't random okay this is like a sinusoidal type of uh, diagram, uh, which to me, the sinusoidal form is interesting because uh, to me, and, and uh, for those of you uh, not big into mathematics like I am, uh, sinusoidal just means wave. Okay, so if somebody says sinusoidal form, it just means it's in the shape of a wave. Since uh, under CGC, gravity is in the shape of a wave, you'd expect to see variances um, in many different measurements that would have a wave-like uh, characteristic. And so when you see this sort of sinusoidal uh, distribution of galaxies along the line of sight, no matter what direction you look in, this is also is a pattern that 
It's difficult to explain how that could be formed in the time scale of 13.8 billion years, but if you're presenting a static cosmology, uh, it makes perfect sense. And if you're presenting a CGC cosmology, seeing uh, sinusoidal forms crop up also makes sense. That is it for large scale structure of the universe. There's a couple of other, other items I just want to mention today. And one of them has to do with the Hubble constant, because a big part of that phrase is, you know, quote unquote, uh, constant. So standard cosmology uh, presents this sort of uniform expansion of the universe with maybe uh, now, because of the Hubble tension, uh, ver various uh, standard cosmologists are proposing breaking that apart maybe into uh, one or two more eras where the expansion rate differs, uh, which to me, again, is another arbitrary tweaking where you're just declaring that the expansion rate, you can change it in various eras, whenever you need to, just to make the theory all hold together, uh, which again, to my way of thinking, that's, that's not really scientific reasoning, uh, in my opinion. But in any case, uh, the point I want to raise now is that some scientists have noticed that the Hubble expansion rate is not uniform. Uh, leaving aside the recent Hubble controversy, Let's take a look at a paper that was published, and there are others, but uh, let's take a look at uh, this paper here. And so uh, this was uh, published a few years ago, and it's just simply looking at, in this paper, uh, you know, by Colin and his colleagues, they just looked at various directions, uh, uh, you know, out into the sky, out into the universe. And they just wanted to measure uh, just uh, one item, okay? Looking at various objects, you know, in various different directions, you know, all through the universe. Is this expansion rate actually constant or do we have non-homogeneity? Uh, which just means, you know, does it change depending where you look? And in this paper, they found that it actually changes. It's anisotropic. And so, to me, this also presents a huge problem for standard cosmology. Now, the last thing I'd like to look at today, uh, to switch gears and come back to the scale of a galaxy, for the large-scale things I've been mentioning, we've been talking about, you know, things on the scale of the whole universe. Uh, but now I want to come back to the galaxy and just something else that Hubble kind of noticed when he was looking at the structure of galaxies. And this is simply the Hubble sequence. So what is this Hubble sequence? When uh, Hubble looked at the uh, various types of galaxies, he did this sort of uh, classification scheme where galaxies start out kind of like this as sort of a spheroid or elliptical type galaxy with a vague shape. And it goes through this kind of sequence. And then up here, it goes in one of two directions. 
uh, either being uh, kind of like a standard uh, disk galaxy up in this direction or more in a spiral arm galaxy with a bar like down in this direction. And so uh, we see this sort of, under uh, Hubble's proposed scheme, we see this sort of uh, uh, classification scheme for galaxies. Now, this presents a problem again with what we're seeing in JWST, the James Webb Space Telescope. Uh, and the problem is simply this. If you look back uh, to the early universe and you are supposedly getting near the hypothetical Big Bang, then what we would expect to see in the very early universe are galaxies down here, either misshapen or vaguely formed or, you know, what have you. We'd expect to see in this early part of the tuning fork, we would expect to see more of those and fewer fully formed galaxies as you get nearer uh, to the Big Bang, and we're talking about, you know, getting very close, you know, within a few hundred million years or so. Uh, but instead, what we're seeing from uh, Hubble is the same sort of variety of galaxy types that we see today, which to me is another argument in favor of moving to a static uh, cosmology or a... Uh, slightly fluctuating cosmology as you have in CGC. Uh, well, that is it for today. I want to thank you all for tuning in uh, to the Taurus Report this week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week, where we will look at uh, whatever is most recent in what Hubble is finding. So uh, thank you all once again for tuning in, and goodbye for now.